0: Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who speaks. And we do pray, Father, that you would help us this morning by the power of your Spirit to understand what you want of us as you people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my favorite restaurants, sadly, had to close in the lead up to Christmas. It's always very sad when one of your favorite restaurants closes, but it has reopened. Uh, and the reason they gave was because... They couldn't find workers, and there's a fundamental principle that disclosure points us to, and that is that the world needs workers to get things done. I mean, that's true in Turkey, isn't it? That Turkey needs workers to aid its recovery. And it's true for our schools, that our schools need workers to teach our children. And it's also true when it comes to our supermarkets and shops. We need workers in the supply chain to make sure that we have goods. The world needs workers to keep things running. And it's the same when it comes to evangelism and mission and going to the ends of the earth with the message of Jesus. We also need workers to tell people about Jesus. And that's what we're going to be looking at in our passage this morning when we look at the why how and who when it comes to being a worker for the harvest and we begin with the why in Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 where we find Jesus doing more of the same so verse 35 uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness and Friends, what Jesus is doing here is extraordinary. It is amazing. It is unprecedented. It is miraculous. But it is still more of the same. It was business as usual because if you go right back to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, which Matthew writes about in Matthew chapter 4, you'll see that Jesus is doing exactly the same thing right there. So there's nothing new here about what Jesus is doing. But there is something new in verse 36. Because while Matthew has been showing us what Jesus has been doing, now in verse 36 he shows us why. And he tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds that were following him, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And the word compassion here, the word compassion here means more than just feeling sorry for someone. In fact, the word compassion literally means to be moved in one's guts, one's inner being. It is a deep, visceral reaction. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? I mean, you know, I mean, it's that feeling you get when you see a kid crying who's lost in a sh- shopping center, right? Or you see terrible imagery of animals who've been mistreated or vision of people who are suffering from disaster or war, it's that is that feeling where you're so moved in your hearts that you just have to do something to help them. That's compassion. That's what it means. And that's the type of compassion that Jesus has for the crowds. And he has this compassion for the crowds. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And let me tell you, being a sheep without a shepherd is not a good thing. You might think it's a good thing. For those of you who know sheep, one, sheep are dumb, but you know, imagine you're a sheep for a moment, you're thinking, I'm I'm without a shepherd, how good is that gonna be? Great, I have ultimate freedom, I go where I want, no paddocks holding me in, I can do what I want, I'll have a great time. But let me introduce you to Chris the sheep. And Chris is famous for having the world's heaviest fleece. And Chris was your classic sheep without a shepherd. And I found Chris wandering around the back blocks of Canberra and when they finally caught him, they were able to shave off, shear off, not shave off, shear off his fleece, and they end up weighing it, and it was 41 kilos. New world record. And how good is it to be Chris? Imagine that, all that freedom, you're in the Guinness Book of Records, and not only that, uh, Chris was then housed in absolute luxury. Isn't it good to be a sheep without a shepherd? Well, let me tell you something. Chris died young, much sooner than expected because because being a sheep without a shepherd actually ended up shortening his life because sheep like Chris needed to be shorn regularly and not being shorn ended up killing him. To be a sheep without a shepherd is to be in danger and Jesus knows that. And that's what he saw when he looked at the crowds. And that's why uh, they were harassed and helpless and in need of a shepherd. They needed help. They needed the shepherd. And not only that, Jesus already knew this before he came. Because back in the Old Testament, it also speaks about the need for a shepherd. Uh, All the way back in Ezekiel chapter 34, where we're told that the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of God's people, had failed in their duties as shepherds of God's sheep. They had led them astray. They didn't look after them. They used their sheep for their own plans and purposes. And as a result, God says that a day was coming when he himself would come to be the shepherd his people needed, providing them with the care and compassion they deserved. And what we see here in Matthew chapter 9 it's a the fact that that day has come with the coming of Jesus. That Jesus has come to be the shepherd that God's people need. Why? Because he is moved by compassion for the plight they find themselves in. Because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that raises a question for us here this morning. Do we see the people around us in the same way as Jesus? Do we see our friends that way, our neighbors that way, our workmates, our colleagues, our family, uh, even those we haven't met? Because that's where it starts when it comes to evangelism and mission. Telling people about Jesus starts with seeing people around us like Jesus and being able to look beyond the superficial, being able to look beyond the fact that the people around us seem to be okay. They're getting on with lives, having parties, going on holidays, going to work. They seem to be carefree, happy. They're living a good life, looking beyond a superficial and viewing them like Jesus through that lens of compassion and seeing that they are actually just like us. And that they too are rebels and sinners on the wrong side of God. Helpless and harassed and powerless to save themselves. People who need Jesus in the same way that we do, to be their shepherd who out of compassion was willing to lay down his life for the sake of his sheep, dying on the cross to pay the penalty of their sins and rescuing them from danger by standing in harm's way. It's only as we see those around us in the same way as Jesus that we'll be so moved by compassion that we'll go out of our way to help them by becoming a worker. And introducing them to Jesus and telling them that Jesus has come to be the shepherd that they need. Matthew begins by showing us that Jesus is motivated by compassion, and when it comes to the why behind being a worker, that we should too. But that's not all. That's not the only reason for being a worker, it's not just about compassion but it's about mathematics as well. And we see that in the next verse. So come and have a look with me at verse 37, where Jesus goes on to say that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus here, he switches imagery from shepherding sheep to harvesting a field. And basically what he's saying to his inner ring of followers, to his disciples is open your eyes. Open your eyes to the opportunities. Open your eyes to what God is going to do. The harvest is plentiful. The workers a few and the key word i want you to pay attention to here is the word plentiful and plentiful friends is a great word it is one of my favorite words it's possibly in my top three up there with the words free and fried so um <laughs> plentiful is a great word i mean think about it. how good is how good is something with, the, with plentiful before it right you think about it. donuts great word plentiful donuts improved Gelato, great word, plentiful gelato. You you see how it works? Plentiful is the buffet word, It's the all-you-can-eat word, It's a wonderful word. And Jesus' use of the word plentiful here before harvest is both an encouragement and cause for concern. And and it's a great encouragement because basically what Jesus is saying is that all these things that I've been doing from chapter 4 to chapter 9, they're going to work. They're going to be worked. They're going to be effective. And lots and lots and lots of people are going to turn back to God through me. The harvest will be plentiful. Be encouraged. But having said that, it's also going to be a cause of concern. Because while the word is great, it has its own set of problems. Because if the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, well, how are we going to find the workers to bring in this harvest? I mean, have a think about your own situation here at Rudy Hill. You may not realize this, but there are at least 28,000 people who live within two kilometers of where we are right now. 28,000. And many of these people are like sheep without a shepherd, just waiting for the opportunity to hear about Jesus. So how are we as a church going to reach them and bring in this plentiful harvest that Jesus has promised. Where will we find the workers? How will we do this? I think it's easy to respond in one of two ways. Firstly, to give up. Just say, oh, 28,000, oh, how are we going to do that? I mean, it's just not possible. Why even try? Or, two, we could try to solve the problem in our own strength. I mean, think, well, look, if we just had the right strategy, if we had the right new lead pastor, a, a bigger building, we had enough money, or we just did the maths. How does this work? 28,000 people, you get 500 people here. All, all that means is we just need to get each and every one of us to speak to 56 people. Job done. Problem solved. It's not that difficult to reach the two kilometers around us. But Is that what Jesus encourages his disciples to do? we go back to our passage he encourages them to pray to pray because after saying the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few jesus says ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into the harvest field and this is the how that jesus gives us when it comes to finding enough workers i mean why do we need workers because of compassion and mathematics how will we find them We need to pray. And and there are three little things here in this verse that I want you to notice. Firstly, the word ask at the beginning of verse 38 has a sense of begging or pleading. This is a prayer that is driven by compassion. Secondly, please notice who we are to pray to. We are to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And he's not neutral or unbiased. Think about it. The Lord of the harvest wants those workers to bring his harvest in, doesn't he? And thirdly, a plentiful harvest needs plentiful workers. Uh, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So the solution to that problem is to pray for more workers, to ask the Lord to supply us with the people we need. I mean, it's all very logical when you step back to think about it. We're asking God to give us the workers he needs For his harvest. It's all very logical, but the answer to that prayer is a bit of a surprise. And we find out as we read on. Because uh, as we move to chapter 10, we get to the who when it comes to these workers. Uh, Come and have a look with me at what it says in verse 1. Because Matthew in verse 1 says that Jesus summoning his 12 disciples gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. And then he sends them out when we get to verse 5. You see, Jesus having just encouraged the disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest field, what happens then? The 12 disciples having prayed are then summoned by Jesus to be the answer to their own prayers. And this reminds me of the circumstances that led me to my uh, previous church. So before this, I was the senior minister at St. Paul's Carlingford. And I'd heard about St. Paul's Carlingford but I, uh, before I got there, but I didn't know much about it. I knew Carlingford because I'd gone to school there, so I knew the area well. And I remember having a conversation with somebody one day saying, St. Paul's Carlingford sounds like a good church, but they don't know what they do, they're doing. I mean, look at it. There's Chinese people everywhere in Carlingford, even the banks have signs in Chinese, but is Carlingford doing anything to reach them? do they know what they're doing really. About a week later I get a phone call from the senior minister of St Paul's Carlingford, Bruce Hall, asking me if I'd consider joining the team there to reach the Chinese. (laughs) And given what I'd said, and given my ungodly grumbling, It's it's pretty hard to say no to the offer at that time. You see, sometimes the answer to a problem or a complaint or even grumbling or a prayer might just be you. And that's what we find here in our passage. The disciples are the answer to their own prayer for more workers. And let me ask you, how would you feel if you found yourself in the same situation? If you received a similar phone call to mine or... Uh, an opportunity or an opening came to you to be a worker for the harvest would you be willing to be the answer to your own prayer because we know that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few and we know that the harvest can only come in as people tell others about jesus so would you be willing to be one of those people the world needs workers how about you i mean the obvious answer uh for for christian people is well yes count me in it's great you know sign me up but becoming a worker is harder than it looks you might not not know this but i also uh run a conference over the october long weekend called mts recruit generations ago it was called club five and mts recruit is all about challenging people to serve jesus as workers for the harvest. So one of the things that they get me to do is run an elective on the things stopping people from doing that. The things that get in the way of people taking their next steps. And I start that elective with some research that looks at the top three reasons that put people off from doing something like MTS or a ministry apprenticeship. Does anyone want to kind of shout out some reasons why people might not take that next step? Anybody want to give me some suggestions? Finances, what's the other one? Kids? Close? Yeah. Family opinion, right? Let me give you the top three answers. One, that my parents would not approve. Not all the people who asked that question were Chinese, by the way. Uh, t- two, that I would not have long-term financial security. Three, that I would not be paid enough to survive. These were the people, things that people were worried about. And there are some situations where these concerns are perfectly reasonable. But let me ask you, would any of these things put you off from being a worker? That if you had the gifts and the opportunities and the encouragement of your church, would any of these things stop you from being a worker for the harvest? I mean, would you be willing to disappoint your parents and let down your family? Would you be willing to turn your back on all that you've worked for and achieved in your career? Would you be willing to give up your lifestyle and what you could earn? Or for those of us who are parents, would we be willing to let our children do that? You see, the decision to be a worker, paid or otherwise, we're not just talking about ministers or missionaries. You don't need to be paid to be a worker. The decision to be a worker is often far from straightforward. And it's almost always costly. But the encouraging thing is Matthew tells us that we won't be alone. That we're not only ones who will be doing the work. And if you come back with me for a moment to verse 1, you'll notice that Jesus sends out his disciples with his authority. And it's the authority of Jesus that allows them to do extraordinary things. Even to the point of what we see in verse 8, where Jesus calls on his disciples to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and to drive out demons. And when you read a verse like that, the first question you ask is, should we be doing the same thing as them? And is that the type of power that we need for the harvest? And the answer to that question is yes and no. I mean, it's yes. It's yes, in terms of us as workers needing that type of power, but it's no, in terms of us displaying that in exactly the same way. Because what we need to realize is that the disciples' work here at this point in Matthew is slightly different to ours. Because all we see happening here occurs before Jesus goes to the cross, and where he does the ultimate thing for the sake of his sheep, dealing with their sins once and for all, dying on the cross, taking God's judgment in the place, and rising from the dead. guarantee their future that is all to come at this point in matthew and at this point in matthew what the disciples and jesus are doing is pointing to that that's why jesus has been doing the things he's been doing teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom healing every disease and sickness he was pointing to what was to come he was pointing to who he was and why he came and that's the work Jesus here is giving his disciples. He's sending them out to be his ambassadors and to do the same things he's been doing just further afield. So the work of the disciples here is slightly different to ours. But Having said that, there's still something for us to learn here because how can the disciples do the work that Jesus has given them? It's what we saw in verse 1. They can only do what they do because of the authority of of Jesus, They can only do what they do because of the power of Jesus. And that is no different for us now here. And you'll see that if we go to the very end of Matthew and the story, to Matthew chapter 28 and the Great Commission. And here on the other side of the cross, after Jesus being raised from the dead, at that point of history that we are still living in now, the risen Jesus says to his disciples and us, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've defeated all my enemies. I'm now king over all. I've defeated sin and death. Nothing stands in my way. And because of that, because of my authority and power, you, my disciples, go and make disciples. Not just of the Jews, but disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching to obey everything that I, as the King, have commanded you. And remember that as you do this, as workers for the harvest, even as you face opposition, and you will for my sake, and even as you worry about what your parents think, and your finances and how you will live, and worry about how you'll reach all those people around you who need to come in. Remember, you're not alone and you're not powerless because I will be with you always until the end of the age. And this is the ultimate encouragement to be a worker isn't it that despite our anxieties and the challenges we may we may face that when when it comes to the who while it may be us it will always be jesus working through those he sends out filling their hearts with compassion opening their eyes to the harvest constantly reminding them that the world needs workers, calling them to pray and then sending them out to tell the world that their shepherd has come and that he's laid down his life for the sake of his sheep. The world needs workers because the world needs Jesus. And I hope you've been encouraged to be open to being the answer to your own prayer to the Lord, for more workers for the harvest. And if you're sitting there going, I don't know what that means, Gary. I don't know what my next step is. May I suggest that you talk to Steve. Steve Gibb, he would love to talk to you about being a worker for the harvest. I'm sure you'll have a fruitful conversation if you talk to Steve. And maybe you're sitting here and thinking, well, I've never really thought about vocational ministry or doing an apprenticeship or an internship or being a missionary. Maybe that could be me. Oh, what do I do next? We well, can always talk to Rob or Dan. I'm sure they would be happy to talk to you as well. But in the end, you could do worse than just start talking. Just start talking to the people around you about Jesus, about what it means for you and the wonders of knowing him. Well, if you feel too shy to do that, well, invite people to explain in Christianity let somebody else do that for you. We can all be workers. It's not that hard. And why should we be a worker? Because of compassion and mathematics. And how will we find more workers? Well, we need to pray. And who will those workers be? Well, it just may be us. And if it is, Jesus will always be with us as the risen king who has all power and authority. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for sending Jesus to be our shepherd and rescuing us from danger as the shepherd of the sheep. We thank you so much that he was willing to lay down his life for our sake. And we pray, Father, that we might be following his footsteps in having compassion for those around us. Lord, we pray that you would raise up more workers because your harvest is plentiful then you would help soften our hearts so that the opportunity presented itself that we would be the answer to our own prayers. So Jesus would be glorified and more people would be saved. And uh, the word of the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.